time to, to share communion and worship together earlier. I do believe that God has got some surprises for people today. I believe that God's got surprises in, of healing, surprises in the area of deliverance, surprises in the area of just provision, providence, and freedom in your life. So I want to encourage your faith today to receive all the fullness. I don't know when the miracles will happen. It could happen when I'm preaching the word. It could happen when we are taking communion. It could happen when we are worshiping after that. But I believe that God has some surprises. It's going to give some people a nice break that's going to happen fast in the spirit, and you will see it in your life. God is in this place. Amen. We're going to go on to the Word of God. Um, uh, Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to read from. Philippians 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can look for it. It's one of those small books. One of those small books uh, in the New Testament. Sometimes hard to find. You, you go around it and you pass it uh, through and back and forth. You know, it's always funny. Have you ever been in a place where you're trying to get your Bible and you're looking for that little book? You know you should find it. And then you get nervous because you're not finding it. And it's not like... You're worried that you can't find it. You're worried that the person next to you doesn't know, think you know where it is. And so, I'm how many have been there and done that? It's all right. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read from there. And before I get into it, I want to just con- congratulate a nice couple around here. Where are they? I can't see them. Abby and, uh, and Chris. All right, back there. All right. You know, they our in congratulations on your engagement uh, about a week ago. That's very exciting. Yes, yeah, so good, good. All right, all right. Philipp, Philippians chapter 1. Are you there? All right, all right. And I know I have it on the overhead, but that's not to say so that you shouldn't bring your Bible or your notepad that you have your Bible. If you want to take notes, I like to write and I like to highlight even in my electronic Bible when God highlights something in my spirit that I'm reading, I want to highlight it. How many have drawn strength in the past where you go back through your old Bibles or go through your notes and then something that had a great meaning to you maybe some time ago comes in and becomes a refreshing word to you? I mean, so that's why it's so good to always note because you don't know the word, uh, how it's going to be profitable to you in the future, okay? So Philippians 1, I'm starting, a, uh, beginning just today, a series of messages that we're going to go on for, for, for a number of weeks. Uh, something that the Lord's put in my heart for, um, um, actually for a long time, and I'm excited to share. Uh, I believe today we'll just get started on it, and we'll be on the book of Philippians a lot. So for those that want to get ahead and, uh, uh, you know, you can start reading Philippians because we'll, we'll read Philippians a lot. But I want to begin with verse 1. It says that to, this is a letter from Paul um, uh, to the church in Philippi. It says to Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints that are in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God for every, upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the time, first day until now. Being confident of this thing, that he who began a good work in you, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? amen? You know, God is a completer. He's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. What God begins, God will, com- uh, will complete. He's the Alpha and the Omega. 
He is the first and the last. He reigns from everlasting to everlasting. And the work that God has begun in your life, he is faithful to complete it. That's a good one to say amen, church. Because if God began the work, God will finish the work. Amen. Amen. So it goes, just as, just as it is right now, now, for me to think of you all, because I have put you in my heart, in as much as both in my chains and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. Verse 8 says, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you, all with the affection of Jesus Christ, that this I pray, that your love may abound still from more, uh, still more and more in the knowledge, uh, in knowledge and in, in, in all discernment, that you may approve of the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word is a living word. You said in Exodus, Lord, that you sent your word and heal our disease. And I pray today, God, even as we open your word today, Lord, as we share uh, this living word, I ask in the name of Jesus that you will release the supernatural workings of the Holy Spirit to bring healing into every area of our lives that need healing. A touch of the body, healing of the, of, of, of the sick, Lord. We thank you for healing of the broken heart. We thank you for healing, O oh God, of every circumstance, that you will cause your word to perform the purpose for which you sent it today in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Philippians is a very interesting book. In fact, um, just getting a little bit ahead of myself, um, um, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of joy, a lot of uh, energy in the book of Philippians. We know, even in Sunday school, you sang some songs that came out of this book. Rejoice in the Lord always. How many sang that one? And again, I say rejoice. And it's kind of like a, a very happy book, very happy book. Uh, Philippians, uh, the story behind this, um, um, th- this letter that Paul wrote to the churches, he wrote this letter, uh, it's one of three letters that he wrote while he was in prison. Philippi, um, uh, about, we all know, remember Alexander the Great? You don't have to be a histro- history whiz to know who Alexander the Great is, do you? We all know who he is. But his father founded the city. His father, um, uh, Philippi II of Macedonia founded this, this city about 400 years before Christ. 250 years later, the Romans will actually take, occupy Philippi. And it'll become, it was a significant thriving city, a metropolis if you would. And actually Roman gave it a really good status, uh, and I, what they call the colonies. And the people in Philippi enjoyed the same rights of the people in Rome, all the Roman citizens did. It just kind of speaks of the, how the, 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 the significance of what that city-state was like for the Roman Empire. And it wasn't by mistake that God used this city uh, and, and things happened in this city the way they did. Because when Paul and Silas and a bunch of other people, um, you, you read this in Acts chapter 16 is where you read the story of how this church started in Philippi. When they went there, it wasn't something that they had planned. You know how the Bible says that many are the plans that are in a man's heart, but the will of God will prevail. Paul, they were set out. They were actually, the church had laid hands on them in Jerusalem. They were sending them off to a mission trip. 
And they were going to Asia, modern-day Turkey. And they were going to go preach there. And it says that the Lord uh, stopped them from going there. Twice, it says that uh, um, uh, the Spirit of Jesus kept us from going. Second time, Paul gets this dream. And, uh, and uh, a man from Macedonia say, hey, you need to come and, and teach us. Come and help us. And then they got the, the, the call that they were to take a different route. And so they would end up preaching all over Greece and the Roman Empire. But there wasn't a city. The stories, in fact, if I relate some of the stories there, you, you would remember them. One of the times, you remember the, the song where Paul and Silas were in prison and they were singing and, uh, and, and, the, and the, the chains came loose and, uh, and, the, and the, uh, the prisoner attended, uh, freaked out and uh, thought there were some kind of gods. And, you know, and the story goes on and he would get saved, his household would get saved and, uh, and the gospel penetrated the continent of Europe for the first time. And, and God would use, actually, that first mission trip in Philippi to actually extend the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. Because up until that point, it was concentrated around Jerusalem. But it was in that place, also, that the devil was not very happy. I think the devil can see the potential of what was going to happen. That was the first time. This, the story we read is the second time Paul ended up in jail there. The first time... The story in uh, Acts chapter 16 and verse, uh, the reference 16 and verse 16, it talks about where Paul came out to the town and he's preaching the gospel, preaching about Jesus. And then this woman, he says there was a slave girl that was possessed by a demonic spirit. And that she would keep talking and interrupting Paul uh, as he speaks and says, oh, these guys are, these men are from God, da, 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 da. And Paul was so annoyed that he snapped and turned around and says, you spirit, come out of that woman. He rebuked the, the demonic spirit. And the spirit came out of this lady and she became sane. And, uh, and, 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 and you would think that was a good thing. But what had happened is her owners had used that spirit through demonic power to be able to foretell things. And so they were cashing in money out of her. The, the Roman system, the leaders of the time were used, manipulating leaders and to do whatever they wanted to do. You know, leaders everywhere, and I think in, in those times as well as our times, uh, in any time, a time of leadership, uh, we're in an election year and it's getting crazy. You know, I don't watch the TV. I don't believe any commercial that's out there because they'll show you what they want you to see. Uh, how bad the other person is. So I, I just pray, and I already have made up my mind through a few things. So I don't need a commercial to convince me, or I don't need to feel I have that righteous um, uh, call to convince anyone to follow what I've decided. What I know I need to do as a believer, once I've designed that, I need to start praying. Because we want God to move in our country. We are told by the scripture that we ought to pray for those that are in authority. That's why we are meeting the next three nights to pray. Since it's an election time, we're going to pray for the country the whole time. We're going to pray for, for all this stuff. We know that no matter what happens, God is always in control. Nothing moves God from the chain. But you see, leaders are also can be very, uh, once they get into leading a country or anything, nobody can do it without God. Don't make them fool you. They could be as smart as the smart can be. They can know all the ways, but you can't do it without God. And during that time in Philippi, I think the leaders were kind of in the same place. And they used some of the 
divination and all these people to kind of give them some interest, you know, to cover. And at this day, manipulation still goes on. And we need to be aware of it. It's demonic. There's the demonic spirit and power that goes on over it. And we need to take authority in prayer. It can only happen through prayer. So Paul rebukes the demon out of this young lady. And he takes a lot of people off. And he ends up in prison for delivering someone from a demonic oppression. But even then, God was still working his plan. God's got a purpose. He's got a mission. He sent his son to, 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 to complete the work of the cross. And he instructed all of us to go on and continue to multiply the work that Jesus already began. He who began a good work in us was faithful to complete it through Jesus Christ. So I, I, I kind of deviate to, 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 to relate Philippians to the actual account in, in, in the book of Acts. Um, uh, and uh, where we're reading today, what we read today was actually 11 years later after the, uh, the incidences happened. Uh, Paul had gone back. And this was his second stint coming back to encourage the church and all that. Guess what? He ends up in prison again. And this time, in the maximum uh, security prison. You know, the prison that he was in is still there. You know, you can still visit the site. I actually know a couple of people that have seen it. I've, I'd like to see it myself, but I've never been there. Um, uh, <clears throat> it was, if you read uh, about uh, where he was, in this momentum prison in Rome, not only was it a maximum prison, underneath on the third uh, story down um, is all the sewage of the city of Rome passed through that. And when the prisoners were locked up in there, it wasn't just the frustration of not being free, but the stench and all the different, it was just a really horrible place to be. And it is from that place that Paul writes the book of Philippians. And when you look at this book, Paul has never been more happy. This is the most personal, most happy letter he ever wrote. He lets us in even into his own personal walk with God in this book. But it's a lot about encouragement and a lot about joy. And you're like, it just doesn't translate. It can only tell me that Paul had encountered something that goes beyond. He had encountered something in his life of a transformation that was so much greater than outside circumstances. Amen. Our joy is independent of anything that can happen to us on the outside. Paul had been transformed by the life of Jesus. And so in verse 10 he says to us that you may approve the things which are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness uh, which are, are in Christ Jesus to the glory and the praise of God. Uh, I believe Paul, when we know the story, Acts chapter 9, if you're taking notes, is when he had his ex ex encounter with Jesus and his life was completely transformed. And from there on, Paul had a new sense of mission in his life. He had a career. He had a lot going on for him. He had a tent-making business. He was a Pharisee. He was well-respected uh, to, to the extent that he could talk to authorities about frustrating believers, and he'll get uh, approval to do that. And he meets the person of Jesus Christ, 
and his mission in life changes. The same Jesus that Paul met is the same Jesus that you and I have met. It's the same Jesus. See, what made Paul different from the other 12 apostles, the other 12 apostles actually walked with Jesus physically. So sometimes for us, as in, in at the time we are living, we can kind of translate that they had an advantage over us because they got to walk with the Lord for three years, three and a half years while he did his ministry. And so there was more Mark and Peter and, and, and James and, uh, and all the guys, John and uh, Matthew. All these guys walked with Jesus. And so they were so compelled about this message. They were so compelled about the Great Commission. They were so compelled about the message of Christ. Because they had the privilege of walking with him face to face. But Paul did not. Paul had his experience with Jesus was the same as you and I. Because this was 40 years later that he encountered Jesus when he had already been gone. And yet he became so instrumental in advancing the gospel like no one else. He becomes more instrumental. And, 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 and I say that to kind of right now, to break any mental barriers that we may put on ourselves or put any limitations to what extent God can use us in our time, in our generation. Because sometimes we do that and we put mental limitations. And so God wants to use our lives to be a light in our generation, to change the world as you would by the power of the gospel. But we put limitations on that. And right now, I just call those limitations, I, I call them out right now, be broken in Jesus' name. With God, nothing is impossible. God is not a respecter of person. Paul wasn't better in the eyes of God than you and I are. He cares for us in the same way that he did care for Paul. But Paul, when he encountered Jesus, he took on a new meaning in his life. He took on a new mission in his life. And we all have a mission. Say, I have a mission. You ha- I have a purpose. When you receive Christ, you are welcomed into the kingdom. And now we are the body of Christ. And we walk out in our lives as the body of Christ. Christ is not walking like he did in Galilee back then. He's walking in us and through us. As we walk out of this place, we are Christ in our community. We are the body of Christ when we walk through South Point or downtown or Haymarket or in your office building, in an assembly line. We are the body of Christ walking throughout the city of Lincoln. The scripture says, I'll let your light so shine before men that they may know the Father. Sometimes we think very less of ourselves and yet God thinks so highly of us. He, he believes in us so much. He knows our past. He knows where we, that's why we need a savior. If you're perfect, you don't need a savior, and you don't even need to be here right now. The rest of us are not, and that's why we need him. And so God understands that, and the grace that he has given us in our lives, he wants to use us to be his light in our time. I believe that God is about to do something magnificent, something great. And in America, let me speak, that sometimes we have put so much weight on what we are waiting for the politicians to do and so and so to do and so and so to do. When God is calling his house, he says, I've already given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. I've already provided for you everything that you could all possibly imagine. And the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It says it's for righteousness, 
peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. How can you have joy when you're in the middle of chains like Paul is? He says he was chained. He was chained between two prisoners the whole time he was down in that dungeon. Horrific. And yet, God had a mission. And God would, and, and he would use Paul in such an instrumental way. And he would use the city that he was in. He would use the city that he was in, in to spread the gospel like never before. I like what he says to the Philippians. Uh, look, uh, go, go with me back in verse uh, 5. He says, for your, no, actually, let me start in 4 because it makes more sense. Uh, <laughs> Always, in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, other translations, yours might say your partnership in the gospel. See, the, the, all the believers in Philippi, they were not all apostles. They were plumbers and doctors and teachers and students, professors and lawyers, accountants, construction workers, farmers. They were doing their all regular work. And they weren't like, Paul wasn't saying, hey, you all are supporting me for the work of the ministry that I'm doing. But he was addressing them as partners in the gospel. They had a stake in it. And they saw it that way. So don't minimize your role and what God gave you as a vocation, as your life, and think that it's any less ministry and the ministry is called for those who, are, or those who are, have vocational uh, um, uh, occupation as a minister. They were all partners. In a business, you have employees, but you also have owners. And uh, the owners, they carry it differently. They might not even be involved in the running of the affairs, but they have a stake in it. Are we getting this at least? We are all partners and, uh, with Christ for the work that Christ is doing. So Christ is walking in Nebraska. Christ is walking in Lincoln. Christ is walking in the United States. Christ is walking and he's walking through his church. As his hands reaching, as his light shining, it shines through us. I talked to someone this week, a couple, um, about a week and a half ago, a guy that was about 30 years old. And we're talking about just a conversation came uh, about the Lord. And, uh, and I went on directly. And I've said this before. Sometimes I've met, I've met believers. We, 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 we share the gospel, uh, sometimes very passively. Uh, and when we decide that we are not going to be passive anymore, then we do it over-aggressively. And so we wonder, you know, why are people converting? I've just shown my life. You know, if they see my Christian life, they should just convert and become believers. I've, I had another statement. It was profound in it, but sometimes I think can lead us to the wrong way. That says, well, preach with all your life, and if necessary, use words. Problem is it never gets necessary sometimes. And so we imply everything, but the gospel is to be spoken. So we're having a conversation, and I asked him. Just, I went straight to the point. When you play basketball, you could be a good dribbler, 
You can make all the moves. And I remember playing with kids like that. Man, they could get the ball between your legs three times, turn it around, but never make the basket. Can't shoot. Got to get it in the goal. I grew up around soccer. It's actually better than basketball. And I remember having Having this mindless debate with a guy who says, man, how can you enjoy the game of soccer when the end score is 1-0? Like, you don't even know one thing there is to know about the soccer. It's a, it's a game, you know. It's a, it, it's a moves and the calculated impossibilities. And did you, I've been to soccer games that went 0-0. Zero, zero, and you're like, that was the best game I ever watched. But the point is getting it in the goal. You could be so bad at the skills, but if you're getting the ball out there, you got the World Cup, you know. But anyway, sometimes we, we treat the message of the gospel that way. We never bring people to a point where they have to make a decision for Christ. Now, this conversation gets 30 years old, baptized as a child, goes to church here and there, but has never been confronted with that question once in his life. Have you ever accepted Jesus as your Savior? As wow, that's a... That's a really good question. The conversation goes. I really never have thought about that. Wow, just about almost cried that I know this guy. We've talked a few times, and he's never been in a place where that question was asked. So how can they know if no one tells them? How can they receive if no one ever shows them the way? I didn't even know how to answer that. This is, I, I never, I've never thought about that. And so we started talking about God's plan of uh, um, uh, salvation. And when he got to the point of accepting this, I could tell that he was over his head. He didn't really quite understand everything. He was getting over. I was like, John 3.16. He goes, oh, yeah, I've seen that at baseball. Some players have it written all over. Wow. We're starting, not from A, we're starting from negative alphabetical letters out there. If ever there's any such a thing. And, but, had to bring it back to simplicity. It's about saying yes to God. If God had an opportunity in your life, would you say yes, God, or would you say No. Would your heart want to respond to, this, to God and say yes? If God is calling you, would you say yes to God? I would say, let me think about it. But you know that man, he did say no. I would say yes to God, and there's tears in his eyes. And we prayed. I know he needs to be disciple to learn more. But his heart was already yes to God. And when we prayed, he was crying. Probably doesn't understand anything there is to know about the Bible. And I'm telling you, as Jesus said, that we ought to lift up our eyes for the harvest is indeed ripe. But the laborers are few. Don't have to dance the game. We need to get back to preaching the simplicity of the gospel. Carrying that weight. Believing in the message that only, the only hope that can transform lives transform families, transform communities and society at large.
when the love of God comes into people's lives, it transforms you. When you let Jesus touch you, he changes you. For the better. This city was so hard fought by the devil. The devil was so mad when they first came to this city of Philippi. And Paul would spend more time in prison in that city like any, that, any other place. But yet, the church there was the most generous church when it came to mission giving. Paul would write back and back again. Some scriptures we quote when we give our offering. That my God shall supply all of my needs according to your riches, his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's in Philippians. Because they, when they got it, they got it. And as they went along their daily lives, they were conscious of the fact that I am on a mission. I'm not just here by chance. I'm not just clocking in time. In my everyday life, in my home, in my neighborhood. I am the light of Christ. Jesus says, don't hide your lamb under a table. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your Father in heaven. The gospel transforms. And the things that are excellent, and I, and, and I know I'll reserve some uh, that I have because we will go on more and more. But I want to call us to this conscious, deliberate um, 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 understanding and decision. The Lord, I'm going to be your light. I'm going to let you use my life to be a witness for you. I'm going to allow you to not only touch my life, but to use my service to you. Because people are hurting and they don't have an answer. And every answer we get, I tell you, whoever gets elected in November, we will be disappointed with that. With them. Mark my words. I'll pay, I, I, your man or your woman might get in there. But you will be disappointed. But I'll tell you what will not be disappointing. If we see our community transformed by the power of God. I'll tell you what would not be disappointing. When your neighbor comes to the full knowledge of Christ. When your child comes to the knowledge of Christ. When your co-worker comes to the knowledge of Christ. Now that would not be disappointing. This church is the answer. The love of God is the answer. People will see the church. If, we, if the picture of the church is the same as what the picture of the world is, there are some real questions. The world is already looking at Christianity with a lot of cynicism and a lot of doubt. <laughs> they do. They think we are a crowd of, the, of stupid people with good sincere hearts but not really smart. Because if we are smart enough, we will know that there is no such thing. And you know, people can argue with you. They can argue till the time blue. And you might not even be the best debater. You might lose an argument. But I tell you, your testimony is the most power. You know, they can come and do anything. You know what's happened in your life. You know what you used to be like before Christ. You know what you wish. So you, that, that's your testimony. You say, okay, well, you're, you, I, I give it to you. You're a good debater. You get a standing ovation from me. But let me tell you where my life would be. 
There was a kid in Nairobi, Kenya that was hopeless. Butchered my educational opportunities were diminishing. The country was going through a depression. Young people were not getting employment anywhere. And you're thinking, what in the world is my life going to be like? Have great ambition, great energy, great what? And and hanging around bad kids, causing trouble, um, uh, and being around bad company. And, And one day I met Christ. And I allowed Christ to touch my life. And things began to change. Places I wanted to go to didn't have desire for it anymore. Things that entertained me, I could care less for it. Friends that hang around, I didn't care if they didn't come because if they were going to cause, be hanging around doing stuff that I don't find interesting anymore. And slowly by slowly, God will replace with good friends, good opportunity, growing in him, growing in the word, learning that God is such a personal God that he transforms life. And indeed, with him, nothing is impossible. He causes rivers to come out of a desert. He parts the Red Sea into dry land. He created the universe out of nothingness, if that is even a word. He says, let there be and his walls according to his word. And I realize that that same God that same God has loved me with an everlasting love. And I realize there are no limits in the world. There is absolutely no limitation as long as my heart is always, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. Whatever you say, I will do. At 18, when there was 70% unemployment rate for people under 30, with good education, a kid with choppy college classes, not even choppy high school transcripts, God would open a door in the middle of all that and provide employment that was meaningful. God would take care of my life and would lead me, and I always, my life was always, yes, God. Yes, God, whatever you say, I would do. Looking back, looking at friends that didn't know Christ. I know Pastor Mike said his testimony the other day, but uh, I'm saying mine. I'm thinking, where would I be if it had not been for the goodness of the Lord? Because I see all, all, all my friends that did not serve Christ, I I would not want their, their lives. And when I look at my friends that did follow Christ, I'm like, wow, how amazing, how beautiful, how glorious is our God. Oh boy, many of us ended up doing a great things. Some of my friends are doing great things, the ones that follow Christ, for God. And, and, and in the business world, I'm like, wow, I'm amazed at the faithfulness of God. Never once did I worry again. You have Christ in you. You have the hope of the world. You need to remember that. And that's who we, that's who America needs. That's who Lincoln needs. The kingdom of God that changes people from inside out. That's why a guy like Paul could be in the place that he was in. And he writes pretty much a love story. He's so happy. It's crazy when you look at that letter. And when you think under what conditions you're spending the words. You're like, how can there be such joy? You might be going through adversity in your life right now. 
Things might be difficult. But you have peace in your heart because you know who you belong to. Amen. So I want to invite you to walk with me for the next number of weeks into entering back into our mission field. When you walk out of the service today, you'll see a reminder that says you're welcome. When you go out of those doors, you're not going to Tumbuktu or someplace in Africa. You're going into a mission field in Lincoln, Nebraska. Amen. Stand with me. Did God speak to you today? Did you get something useful for you today? Amen. Amen. I want to pray. I want to pray. 